for doing that. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. If you're a student of the Bible then, and you don't like churches talking about money, then you're cringing right now. Because you know what Malachi 3 is. But let me just put you at ease as to what my motives are tonight in, in preaching about money. I, I don't think I've ever apologized for that. With God's grace, I will never apologize for that either. But I do want to be clear on why I'm doing it tonight. It's not because I feel like we're in a financial crisis. Uh, I, I don't feel like we're in a financial crisis at all. I feel like uh, the tithes and offerings have been sufficient and the stewardship has been wise. And God's allowed us to, to do well. Um, my motive behind this is that, that we've had some new members join and, and prospective members uh, that are maybe praying about joining. And I want to make sure that we... We teach what the Bible teaches about giving to the church. And then we have tenured members that have been giving a long time. And I want to remind the tenured members what the Bible teaches about giving to the church. And then we have non-giving members of the church. And I want the Holy Spirit to challenge that demographic in the congregation tonight. And so know my heart. It's, it's not to try to squeeze every penny out of you because I feel like we're broke. It's just to be a faithful leader of the church and to preach my heart from a text as to what God says and how we ought to participate in the financial aspect of the church. The story's told of a, of a preacher who, who visited a small church to fill their pulpit on a Sunday because they didn't have a pastor. The story says they had an offering box in the back and their, their custom was to give whatever was given in that offering box to the visiting preacher to help with his expenses. Well, when that guest preacher entered the building along with his young son, as a matter of politeness and probably habit, he slipped a $1 bill into the box. After preaching to that small country church, the the preacher was given the contents of the offering box as he left. It was a single $1 bill. The young son looked at the bill, then he looked up at his dad And he said, Dad, you'd have gotten more out if you'd put more in. (laughs) Isn't that often true of the Lord's work? Seriously, we'll get more out if we put more in. I would I would submit to you. It's also true of the blessings of the Lord. You might get more if you give more. I think we say that on the authority of God's word tonight. I'm going to preach a message titled living in the blessings of giving. Living in the blessings of giving. In this message, I want to first look at what God was saying directly to the people of Judah through Malachi. Then we're going to look at God's plan for giving and what it was in the Old Testament. And finally, we're going to see God's commands and promises about giving to the New Testament believer and how they apply to us. So three sections of the message, and I hope to be fair uh, to the Bible and to you tonight. Malachi 3 verses 6 through 12. The Bible says, for I am the Lord, I change not. And all God's people said, amen to that. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and ye shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. As you study the book of Malachi, you'll find this is the fifth of six disputes that make up this book. In these verses, God makes a startling claim that I just read. And it's this. The people of Judah were unrepentant robbers who were under God's curse. Now let's talk about how God defends this statement and what it meant to the people of Judah. Because that's very, very severe. Roman numeral number one of the message. God's words to Judah. He calls the people in verse 7, we read it, to return to him. That Hebrew word for return simply means to repent. God's saying, if, if you'll turn to me in obedience, I will turn to you in blessing. And that's consistent with the entire Bible. God says, I bless obedience. I don't bless disobedience. Yet when God calls the people to repent, they have an interesting response. We read it. They said, where shall we return? In other words, in what area shall we repent? So God gives them the specific area. He accuses them of robbery. Now, this certainly isn't the only area in which they needed to repent, but God makes specific application here. He says, you've robbed me. So they ask how? And God tells them that they've robbed him in tithes and offerings. Simply put, God expected them to financially contribute to his work, and they didn't. Because of this nationwide robbery, the text says they were cursed. How were they cursed? Well, the text says that the curse seemed to primarily be affecting their crops. They were in a drought. The crops were diseased and they were overtaken with pest. This was precisely because of their lack of financial contribution to God's work. So God makes a rare statement. He says this, prove me. In other words, test me. If you'll bring in tithes and offerings to the temple like you're supposed to, then I will send blessings to your land. I'll open up the windows of heaven. That's a phrase that uh, generally implies abundant rain. And then he said this to the pest and crop about the pest and crop diseases. He said they would end. He says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. The locusts are going to disappear. The blight's going to be gone. And People are going to look in on your crops. They're going to look in on your land. They're going to look in on your entire nation. And they're going to say, wow, God's been good to them. That's basically Micah's words to them. In a statement, here's what it is. The people of Judah could experience God's renewed blessing instead of his curse by repenting of their disobedience and financially providing for God's work. That's Micah's word to the people of Judah. The key question is how does this apply to us? Well, I want to first show you how it doesn't apply. Because there are differences between us and ancient Israel. Roman number number two, Old Testament giving. A lot of times I feel like interpreters of scripture skip this step in the preaching of this text. We instantly go from Malachi to Matthew. And, and, and Old Testament to New Testament without recognizing that there are some differences 
between the Old Testament and where we are right now. They did things different. Tithing was God's way. The Old Testament tithing was God's way to provide for his people and his work under the terms of the Mosaic covenant during the time of the tabernacle and temple worship. It was literally part of the law. Let's break it down. Letter A, tithing was always given from agricultural products. Okay, grains and and those kind of things. Their crops. It was just, it was a way of life. It was what people did. It was the culture. It was the law. No questions asked. They gave a tenth of their harvest. That was just what people did. Letter B, there were three different Old Testament tithes. Sometimes they're called the Levite tithe, the festival tithe, and the poor tithe. I want to show each of those to you in the Old Testament so you understand their giving system. Numbers 18 verse 21 talks about the Levite tithe. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the Levite tithe cared for this entire tribe of Israel who didn't have their own land. They were made up of priests, judges, and teachers. They did the work of the tabernacle and they were cared for by the tithe. The tithe provided for the worship of God and those in the the Levitical tribe who devoted their lives to the work of God. Then there was the festival tithe. It was a little different than the Levite tithe. Deuteronomy 14, look at these verses. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil, and the firstlings of thy herds, and of thy flocks. That thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money. And bind up the money in thy hand and, and shalt go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen or for sheep or for wine or for strong drink or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. This is the, the, the festive tithe. What's that mean? Well, God called the people of Israel to participate in, in several feasts every year. They, they were to travel to Jerusalem and they were, they were to spend their time there as a people feasting and worshiping God. How would they pay for their trips? What would they eat when they were there? That's the second tithe. An additional 10% that they would save and then use for their travels and worship. So, so that's the Levite tribe, the 10th. And, and then we've got a, a festival tribe. That's a 10th. Finally, once every three years, they would give a third tithe. Once every three years called the poor tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 28. And at the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. So the third tithe would go to the poor. The Levites, the immigrants, the orphans, the widows, They would have food to eat because of the special generosity given by God's people. So every year the Israelites were giving two tithes. Every three years they gave another. That would have been an average of 23% of their harvest. That means that many of them would have learned to live on 80% of their income. Letter C. 
The Old Testament tithe was always tied to the covenant and the promised land. I think from my description of of those tithes, it's pretty clear that Christians today don't give in the same way as the Old Testament believers. We typically don't give fruits and grains and vegetables. We don't travel to Jerusalem for feasts. We don't still uh, have the Mosaic covenant. We don't live in the promised land. So then what does this mean primarily for non-Jewish Christians living after the time of the Mosaic covenant and temple worship? Are we off the hook? Not quite. Because I'm going to show you that the New Testament is full of examples that teach believers and members of churches to give to that church in order to sustain the ministry and in turn experience God's blessing. So let's look at some of the New Testament teaching on giving, draw some conclusions, and then make some simple application. Roman numeral three, New Testament giving. New Testament giving. We've got the words to Judah. We've got an example of Old Testament giving. Now let's transition into the New Testament where we're, we're instructed as a church today. Several places of scripture, the screen will have them all. Letter A, write this down. God uses the giving of his people to provide for the needs of pastors and church ministry. Okay, that's not a Baptist rule. It's not my rule. I'm going to show you in scripture where God really does expect the church to give, to provide for the pastors and the ministry of the church. First Corinthians nine, verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In other words, those that, that are, that are preachers of the word, It's God's plan that that the church would take care of them in such a way that they actually make a living preaching the word. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Let the elders or the pastors that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. So when possible, and it's not always possible, and even in the case of the church planners we've sent out, we've had to support them in order for them to not have to go bivocational. Same with, with Mike and Shelby Collins. Their church isn't to a place yet where it can pay his entire salary. And so we and some other churches help out with that. But when it's possible, churches ideally should, should financially care for their pastors. Why? To allow their pastors time to study and preach and pray and counsel and lead. We support our missionaries uh, for similar reasons. So they can go to a field and be busy about the father's business. But it goes beyond just the pastors of the church. Christians should also care for each other's needs, both personally and in an organized way through the church. Romans 15, 25 through 27. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Paul's talking. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints who are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Acts 2 speaks of this. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men there in the church of Jerusalem, as every man had need. What's the point? The members of the church, per New Testament passages, instruct us that the members of the church should collectively shoulder the financial burden of the church. It would be irresponsible, and I would say unfair and disobedient to receive the blessings from your church 
to be spiritually fed from your church and ministered to by your church and not contribute to the financial burden of your church. Letter B, Christians are to give proportionally to their income. Where's that at in scripture in the New Testament? Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, watch this, as God hath prospered him. You give in proportion to how God has blessed you. That there be no gatherings or collections or offerings when I come. Okay, those who have been, I'll go one step further. Those who have been blessed with more, I think are instructed by God to give more. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Why? That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, ready to give. If you're rich in wealth, then you ought to be rich in giving. Biblically, the tithe or, or the tenth is what that word tithe means, is a pattern that we see throughout scripture going all the way back to Abraham and Jacob. I believe the tithe is an excellent starting point for proportional giving. When when anybody asks me where they should start with giving, I always tell them a good place to start is with giving 10% of your income. That was the minimum that they did in the Old Testament. The absolute bare minimum. It was part of the culture. It was part of the law. It was part of society. They did not struggle with it. They didn't fight with it. They didn't get stingy with it. People just did it. They gave the tenth. They gave more than that. But the good starting point for God's people today is that we should give a tenth. Now, sadly, many Christians struggle to do even that. According to nonprofit source, uh, no, uh, yeah, nonprofitsource.com. They said Americans give a smaller percentage of their incomes now than during the Great Depression. The average American Christian today gives only two and a half percent of their income to church or charity. During the Great Depression, uh, people gave 3.3 percent. The average American church attender, they say, gives $17 a week to their church, $68 a month. Now, that may be all some can afford, and that's fine. God knows that. But for, but for others, I believe it may show a profound lack of concern for God's work. Let me say this, when it comes to giving proportionally of your income, God commands that to every believer. It's not like a household command. It's it's an individual believer command. God really does expect everyone who receives an income by his good hand to give back to him. Not just dad and not just mom and not just parents. If dad works... He should tithe in proportion to what he earns. If mom works, she should tithe in proportion to what she earns. If the kids work, teenagers, are you listening? If the kids work, you should tithe in proportion to what you earn. The command is given to every believer. I'm convinced that if every household represented in Fellowship Baptist Church gave an honest tithe from every wage earner in the home, it would totally change the financial landscape of our ministry. Dual incomes means dual tithes. A good way to check and see if that's happening is to compare your household contribution statement from the church with your W-2 and 1099 statements. It could be slightly convicting and it could be really scary. Brother Kay 
says it about every year. He, he visits, he tells us in the deacons meeting, he and some of his kids throughout the years have, have looked at their contribution statements. And sometimes they, they say to him, man, we really gave that much. Imagine how much we could have done with that. And brother Kay said, well, that just shows us how good God's been to us. So it could be, it could be a blessing looking at that, or it could be a curse looking at that. But see if your if your W two and your ten ninety nine statements from the entire household are proportional by at least ten percent to what you give as a household or an individual in twenty twenty three. I think if every member of Fellowship Baptist Church did that, we could do ministry quite aggressively. Letter C: Christians are to give systematically and generously. Systematically and generous, generously. First Corinthians sixteen one and two talks about this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Watch the next phrase. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. So this is, this is promoting systematic giving. Why is that important? Here's why. Because we prioritize what we schedule. And if we don't give regularly, we are unlikely to give generously. Sporadic givers are typically not generous givers. Uh, we, I, I never knew this really until I was the pastor um, and we, we started tracking the income so we could budget here. And it, it, it almost just is scary how up and down the, the income is at our church. I'm sure if you're involved in a nonprofit, then that's probably true of every nonprofit organization that, that when you're relying on donors... It can be up and down. But I would say as God's people, it shouldn't be as up and down as it is. I know there's some variables out there. Some get paid by the quarter and some give twice a year. Some farmers do that. Some businesses do that. I totally get that. That's, that's not my prerogative to guilt anybody for that whatsoever. But I do think that, that we could use a little more consistency with giving proportionately. If you struggle with that regularity, man, I would, I would encourage you to consider setting up online giving. I've talked to so many of our church members over the last couple of years that they have set up that automatic withdrawal. If they made a salary, a pretty consistent salary, they'll set up that automatic withdrawal through our website. And, and that'll just, it'll just come out. That's, that's, that's what I do with my retirement. So I, I don't even, I don't miss it because I don't see it. Um, and and that, that's helped me ever since I was 20 years old to, to give every month to my, my retirement. And, and I, I would really, really encourage you, um, if you're struggling with regularity, if you're, if you're waiting to just feel like giving, or you're waiting until you remember to bring your checkbook or whatever you, you, you do with the offering envelope system, man, that's just, that's just going to be a failure if, if you're not a disciplined person. I'd really encourage you. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to Joyce. She'll help you set that up. I will tell you that, that we're going to have to switch our online giving platform and software pretty soon. Uh, it, it's, it, we are in a massive need of an update there. And so that's coming in a couple of months and everybody who gives online will have to have to kind of set that up again. Um, but, but that's a, that's a great, uh, a great thing to do. Now, one common objection to, to generous and systematic giving is, is that I hear is that pastor, I can't give right now. Like times are tough. I can't afford to give. And I always point people as empathetically as I can to second Corinthians eight. Because it demonstrates generosity even in limited means. The Bible says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. In other words, I want you to know about how the grace of God worked through these Christians. 
How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, watch this, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So the, the grace of God in our lives, listen, Christian, is what compels us and enables us to give when it hurts to give. The grace of God is what empowers us to stay faithful to supporting the work of the church, even whenever we're struggling to pay our own bills, just like these Christians in Macedonia. It's the grace of God. I'll just get practical. It's the grace of God that helps us reprioritize our spending habits so that we can give to the Lord and pay our bills at the same time. Convinced that's a part of the problem with some Christians. It's not that they have no money. They get a paycheck. They're just living on 100% of that paycheck. Not leaving any margin for a tithe and an offering. So for some, you might need the grace of God to help you steward your spending and adjust your lifestyle in such a way where God doesn't get your leftovers. God gets your first fruits. Which is what he should get, by the way. He is so good. He doesn't just deserve that you come to church and lift your hands and sing a song to him. He wants you to honor him and worship him through your giving too. Really believe he deserves that. Letter D, Christians are to give abundantly because we have faith in God's provision and blessings. Many times our lack of giving simply reflects a lack of faith. That was true in our text in Malachi. Andrew Hill says it this way. Malachi recognized that this robbery of God was merely a symptom of a more serious cancer. The stinginess of Judah was rooted in unbelief. If some of you struggle with your faith, um, join the club. I'm a faith struggler too. I see bills. I feel, I feel the tension of these economic times. The church takes incredible care of me and my wife. But everything gets more expensive. Inflation's crazy. And, and our faith has been challenged in some areas of our giving. So I'm not standing before you saying like I've arrived to this pinnacle of every time we give. It's like easy. Like there's some times internally where I got to say, okay, God. This is creating the space for you to provide, but I'm honoring you in this because you deserve it. And, and I'm being obedient to you and I'm following the example of not just Old Testament believers, but New Testament believers. So bless this and honor this. Maybe to help your faith tonight, these passages of scripture will help you and we'll be done. Second Corinthians 9, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Philippians 4. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to my God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Luke six thirty eight. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, 
and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I cannot say it emphatically enough. When you give to God, he will take care of you. When you support God's work, God will support yours. And oftentimes his blessings to you will be in direct proportion to your faithful giving to him. What's the point? Here's the point. God blesses and provides for his people as they give generously and faithfully to his work. Church said amen to that. So let me ask you, do you prioritize giving to the Lord's work? Do you prioritize it? Let me ask you, do you give in proportion to your income? Does every wage earner in your home give proportionally to their income? Do you give systematically or sporadically? Do you give generously or in a stingy manner? Would your contribution statement reflect your consistency or inconsistency in this spiritual discipline? Maybe most importantly, do you really have faith tonight in God's provision for you? Do you have faith in his blessings? Do you trust that he will provide for you as you seek first his kingdom? I realize tonight there's a balance that Christians have to find. We should save for retirement. We should care for our families. We should be wise and smart with our money. But we cannot work around the commands in scripture to give abundantly by faith in God's provision. And I hope that That tonight, if you're a tenured member and you've been given for years and you could stand and preach the message I preach and give testimony to it of how God has been good to you. I hope that this message served as just a good reminder to you. If you're a new member or you're a new young Christian, part of the 20 some folks that got saved in 2022 and you find yourself in this service tonight. Number one, I'm glad you're at church on a Sunday night. But, But number two, I hope that you've learned something tonight about what God expects as you earn income and and, and you work hard and you steward your finances, I hope you've learned that, that God does expect you to help shoulder the burden of his work through his church. If you're a church member tonight and you're not giving, or your giving is very sporadic and stingy at best, I have prayed through the afternoon, not me, but the Holy Spirit would convict your heart deeply. Because you are missing out on some of the greatest blessings that you can give, you can, you, you can receive. There is nothing like being on the other side of giving. The old preacher said, you got to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And that's a cliche and it's pretty silly. But it's kind of true. If you want God's abundant rain from the windows of heaven, then God clearly tells his people, Open up your hands and I'll open up my windows. You close your hands and I'll close my windows. You give, you get blessed. You keep and you invite a curse. And we don't want that. We don't want that for our church. We want to remain a generous church, supporting missionaries and taking care of our pastoral staff and doing ministry to our community like God's called us to do. But we got to take care of God's work. And I hope that you'll help us shoulder that burden. Would you stand to your feet?